So, you know, as, as I spent time in the saddle and, and riding with different groups or riding by myself, I, I found a lot of just unique little parallels um, that you can attribute to your time on a bicycle and, uh, you know, and some of the things that we do in business. Um, you know, in, in the way I see it is everything we do in life basically is kind of a project if you think about it. So whether it's planning to do a race or a ride uh, or planning something at work or planning something at home, at the end of the day, you have a start, you have a finish, and you're usually leading this. So, you know, there's quite a few projects. Welcome to The Change Lead, the podcast providing leaders with the insight needed to get things done in a rapidly changing and complex world. Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Connect with our community of like-minded leaders on our website, thechangelead.com. Welcome to The Change Lead with your host, Babatope Ipiumi. So, here's a question for you. What lessons from riding a bike can we apply to business, leadership, and projects? What can biking teach us about change? With me on the podcast today is Jason Olos. Jason is a transformational leader. He uses effective project portfolio management to bridge the gap between organizational strategy and operational excellence. In this episode, Jason shares what he has learned about biking and business. Stay tuned. I'm sure you'll find this insightful. Um, hey everybody, uh, my name is Jason Orlowski. I'm talking to you from Fargo, North Dakota. Um, and it is September. No, it is not snowing. I get that question quite a bit from uh, from the people I talk to. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited to be here and look forward to talking to you about biking and business. Uh, some lessons from the, what I like to call the back of the pack uh, rider. Uh, so just, you know, a little background of how I got here. Um, this really starts in you know, March of right around two th in 2006. Uh, I was overweight. I w had high blood pressure. I was pre-diabetic, and you know I had gone to the doctor, and he starts he starts giving me this huge list of you know here are the things that are wrong with you, and if you don't start making a change, uh, you're, you're going to have some serious health consequences down the road. And so, being the person I was back then, I did absolutely nothing. I went home and literally stewed about it for about a year. Um, then I went back for another checkup, and my blood pressure was actually higher, um, even after being on blood pressure medication. So I had a very good friend uh, at the time, and, and I confided in him, and I said, hey, you know, I'm going through a few things, and I told him what was happening. And he said, I got a great idea. Um, I'm having the same problems. And, you know, him and I were about the same age and in kind of the same areas of life. And, uh, and he said, I'm doing a 12-mile bike race in about six weeks. And you should do it with me. And the first thing I said is, there's, there's no way I could bike 12 miles. I mean, that, that's a long ways. I can, I can barely probably get on my bike right now. And, and he says, hey, you know, listen, you're not going to do it today. You're going to do it in six weeks. So make a plan. Make a training plan. I mean, you make plans for a living, right? And, and he really kind of called me out. Yeah, I was doing project management at the time. And, yeah, I can make plans. And um, 
So I went online, found a, a simple training plan that was actually 15 miles. So I thought, well, I'll do a couple extra <laughs> little miles in there. Um, you know, six weeks came, race day, and I did it. Uh, it wasn't easy, but I rode my 12 miles, I finished. And at that point, I got a little bit of confidence. Like, hey, I did this. I should do it again. And a few weeks later, I did another one. It was like a, a, just a quick 10-miler. And then another and another. And over time, you know, uh, I, the distances kept getting longer. The paces kept getting faster. Uh, so since that day in 2007, I have done almost 100 bike races, ranging from anywhere from like a 5K sprint uh, all the way up to 242 miles across an entire state on gravel roads, which I'll talk about uh, a little bit later. Um, I'll tell you first thing. I have never won a race, never, ever. <laughs> I'm usually the back half of the pack, but I, I have fun trying. Uh, I think the best I've ever done is uh, came in fifth place out of six people, and the only reason I did that is because the sixth place guy dropped. <laughs> so, so I'm not <laughs> fast. I'm determined, and I'm resilient. <laughs> um, but, you know, over the miles, because I've done you – know, countless thousands of miles I've, i found a lot of parallels between you know biking and my profession my professional career as a project portfolio manager and i started doing that back in 1999 so you know as as i spent time in the saddle and and riding with different groups or riding by myself i i found a lot of just unique little parallels um that you can attribute to your time on a bicycle and, uh, you know, and some of the things that we do in business, um, you know, in, in the way I see it is everything we do in life basically is kind of a project if you think about it. So whether it's planning to do a race or a ride uh, or planning something at work or planning something at home, at the end of the day, you have a start, you have a finish and you're usually leading this. So, you know, there's quite a few projects. So there's five areas that I'm going to focus on uh, today. The first is really defining your why. Uh, the second is, is identifying those goals and, and action plans. The third is, is failures in taking risks. And, and um, the fourth is going to be success is, is being a team event. Uh, and the last one is being visible uh, versus being invisible. Um, so if you're a cyclist, you'll probably really relate to some of these topics. And even if you're not, uh, hopefully you find a few good, uh, good lessons learned uh, along the way. Um, so first of all, just defining the why. Uh, I get this. It's an easy question. It's, it's a one-word question. Why? Uh, with a very complicated answer. Uh, so when I first started cycling, uh, you know, I just wanted to get in shape. I wanted to lower my blood pressure. I wanted to be around a little bit longer for my family. Um, we were just having our first child at that time, so I wanted to be there for him. Um, but over the time, it really evolved into something more. Uh, when you've, if you've ever done a race, whether it's running, biking, whatever it is, uh, you get to that finish line, you get the, the 30 cent medal and half a banana. <laughs> That's really what you get when through all the pain and agony of the day. So there's always something more that drives people. And, and when somebody asks me why I do what I do, uh, especially with biking, it, it's hard to explain. Um, 
but I try my best. And the same can really go for our careers. Uh, you know, I became an accidental project manager back in 1999. Uh, somebody called a project manager, would show up at our team meetings every week, tell us that we weren't doing our jobs, that we were lazy, that we should be fired. And so finally, one day I rose my hand and I said, hey, you know, I think we can do something a little bit different and, and be more successful. And he threw the project plan at me and says, okay, Slick, if you can do better, go for it. Um, so that's how my project management career started. Um, <clears throat> so I can save that story for another time. It was a good one. But, uh, you know, for our projects, why is, is a question that we have to ask. Uh, especially for us as, as project managers or leaders of teams leading different groups that are involved. Uh, why is going to be an important question? Because one of the things I'll ask is, how does this align with the organization strategy? Why are we doing this? How does this align? Because if we're doing somebody's pet project, uh, which I've done by accident in the past because I didn't ask those questions, uh, could lead to no business value or... You know, if you're doing a pet project for somebody and their boss finds out you're doing it, you know, usually you get in trouble because you didn't ask those questions. Um, so don't be afraid to ask, you know, why? Why now? Why this? Why that? Um, I tell people this is so important because if you don't ask why, uh, especially with the, your project teams or those stakeholders that, you're, that are involved, um, they don't understand the importance and they're not going to care. Right? They've got their other day job that they need to do. They've got other priorities. They've got other things that, that needs to happen. So if you can't explain to them why this project or why this effort is so important and how they as an individual are so important to contributing, you're never going to get the buy-in. Uh, and, and again, this is one of my lessons learned because I didn't ask those, those why questions. Uh, and one time it almost got me fired because I didn't. I was taken on somebody's pet project. I never asked why because they were a CFO. When the CEO found out, he was mad. But he wasn't mad at the CFO. He was mad at me because I let it go. Um, and so what ended up happening, with, especially with that project, is there was uncontrolled changes. The team lost confidence in me. And eventually, you know, when things really went off the rails and leadership found out about it, you know, they, they killed the project right away to the tune of an $800,000 loss. But why is going to be one of the most critical questions that you can ask, especially at the front end of any initiative that you take on. So I uh, highly recommend uh, you do that. And it does take courage sometimes to, to get that why question asked. So the next, uh, the number two was goals. Once you do have that goal, uh, is, is nothing without action plans. Um, so, you know, me personally, I'm, <clears throat> I, I love goals. Um, so I have two sets of them. First of all, I had my, what I'll call the before 50 goals, because I'm almost 50. Uh, so I made those at 45 with the intent of finishing them by the age of 50. Um, so I've got another year and a half to go. But, uh, you know, then I start to break down those yearly goals into something more, you know, more tangible. Or I'm taking those five-year goals and then breaking them down into to yearly. So making those a little bit more tangible. And then putting some dates to them because once I do that, I start to have some, a sense of urgency to actually get it done. Um, so 
once you have a date to it, now you can commit and now you can start your planning process. Uh, so I'll give you an example. This year, this has been a bucket list item of mine. I've wanted to do a, a half Ironman. Uh, I've, I've got friends that have done fulls. I've got friends that have done the halves and, and they said, you know, you should, you should do it. You should try it. And I said, well, I, I get in the water, I go to the bottom. Um, so I, I'm always afraid <laughs> of swimming, but <clears throat> you know, I, I finally said, okay, let's do this. I, I, I said, 2023 is the year I picked a date. I picked one of the races. I signed up for it. Now I had my date. And then I could, I had that goal, I had it set, I was committed, now I could start to plan. So taking that data work backwards and to, you know, here's when I have to start. Um, so then I made a detailed training plan. And I'm sure as many of you uh, have happened, you know, life, life comes up, right? Uh, so I was supposed to run five miles that day. Well, I had a business trip or my kid was sick or I had to go to, you know, some other event. So what I have I've learned over the years is we can detail down to the most minute, you know, even down to the hour. Um, and that plan is only going to be as good as the day you wrote it out. Because as soon as life happens, you need to adjust. So what I ended up doing was, okay, I'll write down the dailies knowing that I won't hit every day and that's okay. So I always tallied things up at the end of the week and said, okay, if I can really stick either to the weekly uh, amounts or close to them, I'm on the right track. And as one person told me, nobody in probably the history of the world has ever kept up with those training plans because they're, they're just too, you know, they're, they're too detailed and nobody, uh, unless you don't have family or anything else going on, doesn't have that time. Um, so, so that's, so I followed it to the best of my ability, really focused on the week. And then uh, just finished it up a couple couple weeks ago. Um, you know, I got to the finish line, said I'll never do another one, and I'm signed up for one in 2024. But that's a, a different story <laughs> that my my wife is still talking to me about. <laughs> but it, you know, if you, if you think of of you know translating that to to work, you know, you don't if if you're a project manager, and I did this early in my career, if you develop a 400 line project plan it's probably good the day you wrote it it may and then the next day you could throw it away because things change uh you know so fast especially now um you know it, i would say in what i mentor uh younger project leaders on is don't focus on the individual days right focus on those key dates so if you have the end goal in mind work backwards. Usually uh, you have certain things that need to be done by a certain time. So for example, uh, one of my last clients, because I do consulting, we had a major program. We had a release date. So once we selected the release date, we knew that testing had to be done three weeks in advance. We had to new, know then development had to be done you know, at least one week in advance before testing began. So we were able to work backwards. And within an hour, we had the straw man of a plan. And even though we wouldn't commit to it at that point because we needed to fine tune it, 80-20 rule, we were 80% there in an hour. Yeah. Uh, and then we just focused on those key dates. We didn't worry about all the little minutiae because, again, life happens at work too. Um, other production fires came up. 
people left the company. Some people were moving around. There was a reorg. We met our date, um, but we instead of focusing on the individual day, we focused on those those key delivery times, um, and that really helped us out. So again, we were starting with the goal of here's what we want to do. We selected that end date, and then we were able to work backwards, really create those action plans uh, that got us to success. The, the third area is, is just failures and risks. If you are a leader, you're going to take risks. You're going to have failures. Um, but I, one question I, I would ask everybody is, if, is it really failing if you learned from it? Um, an example is, is a couple of years ago, I had my first bike race where I got a DNF. I, I did not finish. Um, I looked at the weather forecast and I was scared when I got on my bike that day. It, it called for uh, high winds, then rain, and then the rain was going to turn to sleet and then eventually to snow. And I said, you know what, I'm going anyway. You know, I've, I've been biked in the rain before. Well, you know, when you start at 45 degrees and it goes to 28 degrees, it's a, it's a major jump. So at some point, at one point, I got to the halfway mark. I actually had to chisel ice off my glasses um, because it had gotten so cold. And, and at that point, I called it quits. Um, later, I learned that 55% of the racers didn't even show up that day. And then the majority uh, didn't finish. But, you know... That was my first first time I said, you know, call it quits. It was my, technically, it was my first failure. I did not finish uh, what I set out to do. But then I, I really took a step back and, and did a retrospect on it because I was doing an, a much further gravel race, you know, later in the year. Um, I took a lot of lessons away from that. And the first question I asked is, what went right? Okay, my bike setup was right. My the food I had on was right. All my electronics were right. What went wrong? Well, weather. Um, I didn't have the right attire. It, it was water resistant, not waterproof. And believe me, there's a big difference. And so I took the time to really, you know, really understand what went well first, and then what didn't go well, and then learn from that. So I was able to apply it. Uh, to a future event, and, and it helped out quite a bit. Um, you know, translating that, you know, risks and failures to what you do on a daily basis. Uh, my first project failure, and it is still my largest, to the tune of $2 million. Uh, this, this project was, was going to be a game changer for the company. Uh, so one of the first things I did when I was handed, you know, it's told, hey, you're going to lead this is I looked at who am I going to involve? Uh, who are the stakeholders involved? And, and in a company of 17,000, there's a lot of looking that you can do. So I looked and looked, and I, I documented all these people. And uh, we kicked the project off. I, I traveled internationally to you know, this company's headquarters, uh, traveled all around the U.S. doing some different market research, uh, so we, we'd spent a lot of money. Uh, we were doing a lot of the development. And then one day I was pulled into a room and there was four people in this room. And they said, hi, you know, I'm so-and-so from the new product development group. And I thought, I've never heard of these people before. They said, if we didn't approve your project, it's not real and you're done. The project is, is henceforth killed. And I, I mean, I was blown away. I, I thought, 
this is this is my first major project and and I, I botched it up because I didn't you know understand who these people were. So uh so yeah that was that was a real that was a real winner. Uh but I what I took away from it was even if you think you know who you need to talk to and the stakeholders that are involved, look deeper. And if I would have asked maybe just a few more questions, I would have eventually found this group because somebody I, I was involved, you know, involving quite heavily, they were very aware of this team. And they knew I should have talked to them, but I didn't ask the question of, hey, should I have them come to a few informational meetings? Um, so, you know, I put a lot of that back on myself and, and said, you know, I should have asked more questions, more stakeholder assessment. Since that time, uh, even if I think I have everybody identified, I will go even just a little bit deeper. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, every project that you take on uh, is a risk to the company. Every project that you lead, it will have risk. You take the time to understand what the risks are early. Involve your team. You know, what, what could go wrong? Um, how can we mitigate those now? You know, is this kind of a high, medium, and low risk? Um, you know, I do not have all the answers. I'm, I consider myself the dumbest person in the room. That's why we have the smart people on the project teams, right? So they can identify things that I couldn't even think of. Um, and I guarantee you will not catch them all, and that's okay. You can catch the majority of them, but, you know, things happen. I had, in a bike race, my handlebars literally fell off my bike. They broke. Um, and I, I never would have expected that to happen. Um, in re even recently, one of our project risks was potential employee attrition. Well, we figured maybe one or two people would leave. We had 10 uh, in a very short amount of time. And so we could not backfill them fast enough. That really threw off our project schedule. Uh, but there are risks. We can mitigate them as much as possible, but you're not going to catch them all. Sometimes there are bumps in the road. Sometimes they can definitely lead to ultimate failure, but do the best you can. Um, and I know sometimes risks are very hard to, uh, to get uncovered. Uh, the, uh, the next is, is, is success is really dependent on a team. Uh, so back in 2021, there's this race called the Day Across Minnesota. So it, it starts on the border of the state of Minnesota here in the U.S. And then it goes on gravel roads literally across the state, 242 miles on, on gravel roads. You have 24 hours to do this. And again, it was one of those bucket list items. I said, I'm going to do this. It was the last year they were actually going to do this race. And so... Um, you know, started at midnight, you have till the following midnight. Uh, my wife and her friend kind of did the support uh, throughout the night and met me at certain places along, along the route. And when I finished, I remember somebody saying to me, well, you did it. And I thought, no, I didn't do it. Uh, I didn't do it alone. I may have been on my bike pedaling. I was simply following a, a line on my GPS telling me to turn right or turn left or, or to do whatever. Um, yeah, and there was times it was a battle. But if it wasn't for my wife and that friend of ours meeting us at meeting me at certain places, I couldn't have replenished my water, my food, um, gotten certain, you know, changed out uh, you know, a couple pieces of clothing. Um, I wouldn't have been successful without them. So you know, there's even though you may be out there by yourself, 
there's a team that, that has supported you at least along the way. Uh, when it comes to our work life, everything is a team. You can't do anything alone. Uh, and again, I will tell you, I'm not the smartest person in the room. I don't have all the answers. I can't do it all myself. Um, as a project management professional, I don't do the work. I get the work done through others. So, and, that, and that's a quote by Lee Lambert, if, if you've heard of him. Um, and it's, it's really true. I, I engage a team. They are the ones that actually do the work. I am kind of like the ringmaster in the center, uh, guiding traffic. And then also stopping those things that can come in and, and throw people off course. Um, I am huge in, in building rapport uh, with my team members, both. I, I have team members all across the U.S., all across the world. And when I'm starting something new, uh, even if we kick the project off as a group, I find time to meet with everybody individually, even if it's even if it's simply 10 minutes. Um, it is time consuming. It's hard uh, some days because you have different time zones, different you know things to consider. Um, but what I'm really trying to do is build rapport, uh, build trust with them. And then I during team meetings, um, not only am I trying to build trust with team members, but I'm trying to build trust amongst team members. I want them to communicate. Don't always bring me a problem. Bring the other smart person the problem. Then when you have a solution, let's talk about it. And then, then we can figure it out from there. Uh, and I am very humble about that because uh, when issues inevitably do come up, uh, I will be the first one to say, I don't know what to do here. Can you help me? And uh, create that psychological safety within the team. If, if I'm willing to, to put the ego aside and say, you know, I, I can't do this. I don't know. I need your help. Um, they are more than willing to jump in. So really engaging that team, uh, you know, to help, you know, drive results, um, get over the issues. And then when we complete something, hit a milestone, project complete, whatever it is, um, I give them all the credit. I mean, we go celebrate. I tell their bosses, hey, look at what these people did. They did awesome. I love working with them. I hope to work with them again. Uh, the biggest compliment you can ever get is, well, you know, I loved working with Jason. I want to work with Jason again on the next project. And, and that is, uh, you know, that's, that's been one of the, the key career moments I've had when people say that. So, you know, every success, no matter how big, how small, whatever it is, uh, it's, it really is uh, a team event. Um, and then last is is being visible versus being invisible. Uh, it, and it was actually earlier this year. Um, I was out early in the morning biking and it was a beautiful morning. I'm watching the sunrise. It, it's June. So June in, in Fargo, North Dakota, the sun is literally starting to come up about 4.15 in the morning. It's awesome. So you can get out there and it's it's bright enough. So I'm watching the sunrise and, and I see something in the distance, not quite sure what it is, but when I get there, it's a fog bank. And I went from being able to see for miles because there's no hills in Fargo, North Dakota, um, to seeing maybe 20 feet in front of me. And it, it's, it's just, it's thick. Uh, so as I'm pedaling, you know, I, I have one little light on the back of my bike and I'm worried that the car that's coming up that I can hear coming won't see me and uh, you know, I'm, it's possible I can get hit. 
So I want to be as visible as possible. So I'm, you know, was trying to find ways ways to do that, but it was it was very hard. Um, contrast that to the week before, when I go past a house and I see two German shepherds sitting on their their front stoop, just kind of you know, kind of sleeping a little bit. And I don't want to be seen, not at all, because I don't want these dogs to wake up and go, oh, look, I'm going to chase this guy. So <laughs> there's times that you're going to want to be visible. There's times where you might want to think you're invisible. Uh, but as a, as a leader, as somebody that's at a company uh, that you want to become more and more, uh, you know, start to rise up in that company, you're going to be more and more visible. Uh, when I was when I was early in my career, I was the guy who kind of sat in the back of the room, didn't say a word, <clears throat> and then hoped that nobody would look at me, call on me, <clears throat> excuse me, ask me a question. Um, I just wanted to stay out of the limelight. I didn't want to be in it. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but then, as as I started to get more and more in my career, I thought, well, if I stay invisible, nobody will notice me. I'll never get anywhere. <clears throat> so in um, the best example I got of this is in 2013, uh, when Obamacare in the U.S. was going to be put into into effect. I was working at a healthcare company, and right before we went into this executive meeting that was to really kind of kick this thing off, somebody grabbed me and said, "Hey, uh, from a program standpoint, uh, we're, you're going to be really heavily involved." I didn't know what that meant. Um, but I went into the meeting anyway. So there was the CEO, CFO, any any C-level was in this room and w along with their direct reports. I was out of my league, but I was okay with that. I thought, I'm going to learn a lot. So as I'm listening to the conversations, it was all, IT will do this, IT will do this, IT will do this. And when people were talking about the process changes, things weren't me meshing up. I, I thought to myself, they don't even know their own current processes. They have no idea what it's going to be in the future. So as we got along into this, <clears throat> the CIO goes, yep, and IT will do everything and blah, blah, blah. And then he looks at me and he goes, and Jason is going to be our program manager. And my mouth just kind of went, what? I, I, I had no idea I was going to actually deliver this. So the COO looks at me and goes, well, what do you think? And instead of taking the invisible route and saying, yep, I said, I think everything we're talking about is flawed. And here's why. So they had this little diagram up on the board. I actually stood up, went to it. I said, everything here is dependent on, on technology doing something. But you have no business input. You have a business input into the process here. But we don't know what it is. We have an output to an operational group here. We don't know how they consume it. Um, and what I'm hearing isn't meshing up between what everybody is saying, too. I, and I, my approach would be to get all of our operational business partners into a room with technology, map out our current process end-to-end. -end, and, and somebody goes, well, that, that'll take weeks. I said, it'll be weeks well spent. I said, look at this as, as your investment. So once we develop this as-is process, now we can go about noting, hey, things are going to change here. Things are going to change here. Things are going to change here. And then we can put plans in place to make sure that where those things change, 
you know, technology is ready, operations is ready, we're able to, to do what we need to do. And there was a little bit of an argument between the CIO, COO. Um, so as they went back and forth, uh, they said, you know, we need to get our, our operational partners, you know, involved with this. And so the CEO looks at me, looks at the CIO and goes, you two, make it happen. And that was it. And so I, you know, I, I really stuck my neck out there, became visible. Um, you know, there was people that said, hey, this is a great approach. We've never done this before. We think it's going to be fantastic because, you know, here's, here's why. Uh, the CIO brought me into his office and told me never to uh, interrupt him like that again or ever contradict him again. Uh, thankfully, he was only around for two more months and then was uh, suddenly looking for new opportunities. Right? So, you know, if you want to be a leader, you're going to have to be, you're going to have to be visible. Uh, you're going to have to stick your neck out there. People are going to have to see you. So it is okay to, uh, to be visible um, and don't try to hide from it. So that is, uh, that is uh, everything I wanted to cover today. Again, thank you very much for, for having me. Uh, if you want to follow me, please uh, let's connect on LinkedIn or catch me uh, on my blog at btgconsulting.biz. Um, shoot me a note anytime, and I look forward to, uh, to working with or communicating with folks in the future. So connect anytime. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to my conversation with Jason. If you'd like to connect with Jason, check the show notes to find details. If this episode was of value to you, please consider leaving a review wherever you get your podcast. Leaving a review is the absolute best way to support the podcast and ensure I continue to have great guests on the show. You can tune in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Audible, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, The Change Lead website, and many more. To continue the conversation, please connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think of the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your day and see you next time.